3D printing technology is pushing the limits of customization, bringing ease to surgical planning and making predictable outcomes. If you are a surgeon wanting to make lives better, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Surgeons in 3D Printing podcast. And now, your host, Dr. Ruchi Pathak Cole, to take you on this beautiful journey. This podcast is being sponsored by Reconstructive Healthcare Solutions Private Limited, a consulting and services provider for medical 3D printing in India. We are there in the Indian Institute of Technology, New Delhi. We are a spin-off of research done at All India Institute of Medical Sciences, New Delhi. If you are struggling to make any decision on implementing 3D printing to your clinical practice, department or a hospital setup, connect with us on a call for 30 minutes of free consultation. Welcome to the Surgeons in 3D Printing podcast. And today I have with me a very special guest with a completely different kind of portfolio, I should say, a different area where we not talked about yet. And uh, I have with me Khalid Rafi. And Mr. Khalid is a senior leader of additive manufacturing programs development at ASTM International. He's responsible for various AM education and certification programs from ASTM with a vision to empower the AM community to support wider additive manufacturing adoption. Now, before joining ASTM, Mr. Rafi was a technical leader for additive manufacturing at Underwriters Laboratory. He is having 20 years of industrial experience with over 10 years primarily focused on additive manufacturing. So Mr. Rafi has almost 30 journal articles with over 50 presentations at international conferences. So there's a lot of credibility. There is a lot of work uh, which you've been doing. So welcome, Mr. Rafi. Welcome to the platform. Thank you, Dr. Tunchi, for the nice introduction. And it's my pleasure to be here with you today and to discuss um, some thoughts on uh, medical 3D printing and, and regulations and the related standards. Right. So before we take this conversation forward, I would like to ask you, how does a normal day go about for you? What is the kind of uh, work that you're involved in? Okay, so as you just explained that uh, I'm responsible for the education and training activities with ASTM, particularly on the additive manufacturing side. So we have a lot of uh, training programs which are currently under development as well as uh, which are currently delivered at multiple um, you know, times, multiple times. So um, currently my focus is to make sure that these training programs are, are going well and these programs are planned and executed in the way it, it should be. And um, apart from the training activities, we are also getting into um, things like certification programs and things like that. So um, basically it's a mix of uh, you know, developing and managing and executing training programs as well as to assist uh, uh, the certification uh, programs for the future. So some of the certification programs are currently under development and uh, we are going to release it soon. Wow, so that's amazing. And I think that's one of the gaps that we really need to address. Uh, coming to next, I would like to ask you that uh, ASTM usually is responsible for creating these standards of care, standards of uh, creating different products in the uh, AM world. So I would like to first ask you, could you let us know, let our audience know, what is the difference between standards and regulatories? Okay. 
So I would say both uh, standards are and regulations, they go hand in hand mm-hmm. because uh, uh, regulators come with the requirements based on standards. So when they set up a requirement, they need some, some basis, some background to um, you know, take those uh, requirements. So they fall back on standards to see how they can get those requirements in place. So I would say both uh, standards as well as uh, regulations uh, both go uh, hand in hand. Uh, it's, it's more like um, um, the regulators, they come up with the requirements and uh, seeing the need, uh, we create the standards. Right. So uh, with that being said, uh, I would say that most of the interviews that I conducted with experts, with so many different people across the sector, I realized that everybody was finding the standards area or the regulatory area, rather not the standards area, but the regulatory area as a gray zone. And so what is it about regulatory that I would specify to surgeons who want to practice 3D printing that they should be careful about? Because now regulatory is like huge. So I'll just boil boil it down to the medical 3D printing world. So what is it that one has to really see that uh, what should be the basic minimum standard that uh, that basic minimum regulation that should be really taken care of? Absolutely. So that's a great question. And uh, I would say. I agree completely agree with uh, you uh, with regard to the, the the gray zone when we talk about regulations. Um, so coming to three D printing, uh, the regulations or or, or the or the most important thing is that there is no specific regulations for additively manufactured parts. That's the mm-hmm. first thing that we need to understand. Um, all the additive manufactured parts are still regulated with the existing regulatory methods or methodologies that you apply for any medical device. Right. But we need uh, some kind of uh, additional requirements to be uh, met when it comes to additive manufacturing. So all these regulations that you see, they're all uh, written long back or written when additive manufacturing was just evolving. And at that time, we were using additive manufacturing only for making non-safety critical things. Exactly. And uh, people don't care much about regulation at that point because you are not putting anything into your body uh, that is made of uh, 3D printing. But the way in which 3D printing has progressed in the the past couple of years was massive. And, uh, you know, many organizations started creating products uh, which are going into human body. Then safety is a major issue. So 3D printing is exciting. And at the same time, it... Um, pops up some kind of risk aspect. So we should be very much careful about uh, those risk aspects. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the regulation is to make sure that all these 3D printed um, components um, are safe for people to use. Okay. So having said that, what's the status of regulations in or applied to 3D printing at this point of time? So when I say regulations, again, I want to make it very clear that uh, there are no specific regulations apply for um, 3D printing. They still use the existing regulations, but with some changes. And this also varies across different countries. For example, in in the US, the way in which they see things is slightly different from um, the way in which um, people in the Europe or Australia uh, see the regulations for 3D printing. I'll give an example. Um, so in the US, uh, most of these uh, 3D printed components are still cleared using a 510K pathway. They call yeah. it as a 510K pathway, 
and that's the most common way of doing it. Okay, so um, whether it is a patient specific uh, device or it's a generic device, it's going through the 510K path. 510K, okay. Okay, in the same way, if you go to um, Europe or if you go to Australia, uh, they have a different way of uh, checking additively manufactured parts. So they call it as um, uh, they customized or, or custom devices. Mm -hmm. So that's a major difference, custom device. Uh, in the US, the definition for custom device in the US and the definition for custom device elsewhere in the world is slightly different. Right. Um, so basically, okay, custom device means it's a device that is uh, specifically developed for a patient with a written prescription from a surgeon or from a medical practitioner. Right. And uh, in US, if you are making such kind of a custom device, uh, you can make only five per year. Okay. So, uh, if you make the same thing more than five, then it is not falling under the definition of uh, custom device. Right. Whereas in the Europe and Australia and, and countries like that, they were using custom device as, a, as an exemption, uh, which means whatever product that you print using 3D printing, they will put it under a custom device exception because custom devices are exempted from regulatory requirements. Even though you have to follow some general, uh, general uh, or, or good management, good manufacturing practices, but still uh, it is exempted from the regulatory requirements. So until now, uh, most of the manufacturers in the, in the Euro, they were using that particular exemption. But now um, the regulators in, in Australia, in Europe, and they all realized that um, they should be tightened. Yeah. So in the, in the recent uh, new uh, uh, European medical device regulation, this MDR, which just came out, uh, came for 2020, they have a different, or they change the definition a little bit to make sure that they put enough uh, tightening for the use of a custom device exemption. Yeah, I think so, they've also added it to be a kind of uh, prescribed by the doctor, isn't it? Yes, no, even before it is prescribed by, by the doctor. And now, even though if it is prescribed by the doctor, but it is uh, produced in a mass in, in a mass way or it, it's produced in a, in a mass production way, it's no more considered as a custom device. Okay. Okay. And there is another um, terminology that is called patient-specific device or mm -hmm. patient-matched device. So often mm -hmm. people confuse with these two things, custom, custom device and uh, patient-matched device. Yeah. Okay. So patient-matched devices are still under uh, 510K in the US, which means it's still con considered as a generic uh, device in when it comes to regulation. Mm -hmm. So there is no specific relaxation for patient-specific devices. And okay. the fundamental difference between a custom device and a patient-matched device is that for a patient-matched device, uh, the design or, or the design of your uh, patient-matched uh, device should fall in a particular de uh, design envelope. Okay. okay. So if that... Uh, component or if that part falls in a specific design envelope, then it is no more a custom device. So being a surgeon, you know that you, you make some changes uh, uh, in, the, in the geometry and things like that when you perform a surgery to make it uh, 
adaptable for the patient. So mm -hmm. that device cannot be considered as um, a custom device, okay? If the same device, if it goes beyond the design envelope, for example, if you are doing an acetabular cup, okay, or a knee implant, if the knee implant is, is out of the design envelope for a normal patient, and then it is considered as a um, custom device. So, which means it is out of the normal design envelope. Right. Okay. So there's a subtle difference between difference. Uh, uh, these two these two things, but uh, we should be careful about uh, when you define a custom device as well as a patient matched patient device. Match. Wow. So that was a, that was a complete disclosure of something really amazing for us because these changes just happen like. You don't know when do these happen. I think this change has just happened for 2000, I think in the 2020 MDR. So this was the recent change. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and these definitions are based on this global harmonization task force. Exactly. Uh, GHTF, and uh, all these uh, regulators are part of, most of these regulators are part of that uh, harmonization task force. And they came up with the definitions. And these definitions are now available online for anyone to read. And... Um, uh, so you can make out the difference. What exactly is a custom device and what exactly is a, is a patient-matched device? Sometimes yeah. they call it patient-specific device. Specific. And previously, people even call it as customized device. Yeah. So a couple of years back, it was custom device and customized device. So now it is custom device and patient-matched patient device. Yeah. And they seem to be very similar, but actually they are different in terms of the present-day so, definition. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So that will be uh, another learning. Uh, going beyond, I would like to, I would like you to tell us about different standards. And I am again, kind of getting it narrowed down to the uh, level of medical 3D printing. Uh, the standards okay. that we use because, uh, because we have a committee which is different uh, and we have certain set of committees which are different for medical uh, 3D printing. So could you just elaborate a little more and give a little introduction about the different standards? Obviously we can't get very deep into that, but yes, a little bit of a, okay, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I can give you an overview about uh, the current status of the standards yeah. for particularly for 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And before that, uh, people always ask, hey, why we need the standard? Basically? Exactly. Yes, I, I wanted to ask that as well. Yeah, because people have to yeah. know that why do you need standards? Yes. Absolutely. So what standard do is it provides you a common um, procedure that everyone can follow. So which means when a manufacturer is manufacturing something and uh, the end user, so both the end user and the manufacturer can agree upon a common document that can be used by both the parties so that there is no issues of any or any conflicts. So, or you can minimize the conflicts. So that's a general thing. So basically standards are to use for both uh, the manufacturer and for the end user so that um, they can come up with a standardized product. Um, second thing is uh, these standards are developed by a group of experts, or they call it as consensus standards, which means it's not developed by one or two people. It is done by a lot of uh, experts coming together, put their thoughts on it, went through multiple revisions and make sure that this is solid thing which you know, people can follow. So it's a credible document that people can follow and can be used for uh, producing a product. Coming to medical, it is more important because uh, we are working with um, with human body. So yeah. when you make a product for human beings, uh, people are a bit skeptical because the technology is new. There are no uh, previous data to rely on. 
So the only thing that you can rely on is a standard or a document which has been developed by a group of experts. Okay, so that's a generic requirement when it comes to um, people uh, or, or general public for the use of standards. But when you talk about um, manufacturers, for example, so when these device manufacturers, when they submit their product to a regulatory body, then they need to answer a lot of questions. They need mm -hmm. to establish a lot of things like uh, the safety, the efficacy, uh, mechanical testing, uh, how they performed all those things, what is the basis of doing all those things. So if they're not having a standard, for example, then they have to have their own internal procedures and they have to convince the regulator that whatever things that we have done is good. For that, they need to do a lot of experiments and other documentations. But at the same time, if they say that, yeah, we did this mechanical testing as per this standard. Yeah, it becomes easier to quote that. Absolutely. So they save a lot of time and effort there. Yeah. So right. they, they, need, they need to, you know, again, uh, go with a, a new testing and documentation to say that what we did is right. From a regulatory perspective, so we are talking about 3D printed components. And as I said, right now, these 3D printed components are evaluated and, uh, up, um, and cleared by FDA. So if you see, um, even though we are talking about 3D printing for the past couple of years, the first approval of a 3D printed component came back in 2010. So it's almost 10 years now, uh, FDA first approved a, a 3D printed implant. So during those time, uh, there are only few components which are coming to FDA for, for evaluation. Past year, they did around 200 plus uh, devices. In wow. the past uh, 10 years, they have 200 plus devices. Mm -hmm. That's also fine, they can manage. Mm -hmm. Think about the technology goes uh, rapidly and come with thousands and thousands of submissions. Then it will be difficult for the regulators even to go through each and every document that they provided and to see whether they follow some procedures which are exactly. internally developed. So that takes a lot of time and effort for the regulators as well. So yeah. when you see the time and effort that need to spend by regulators, by manufacturers, it's always better to follow a standard. So standard makes your life easy. I think it makes the life easy for both the parties, the regulators, yes. as well as the people who have to manufacture the manufacturers and of course the yeah. end users. So it's like, yeah. it's like a very uh, good situation in terms of the practices which are being followed, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and moreover, at the end of the day, the general public is the one who is going to this product. Stuff, and they, exactly. And, and we can instill confidence on them. If they see that, okay, this particular product is following certain quality standards set up by some international organizations, which means the product is good. I can good. safely use it. So that's most, more important. You have to instill confidence on people, particularly when we work with a new technology. Yeah, and I think it's very, very important. But then going forward, I would see that there are also some of the gaps which are there in the standards with respect to medical 3D printing. So can you address a few gaps? Yes, absolutely. So not just for medical, even for other yeah. uh, industry sectors, there are a lot of gaps. But when it comes to medical, specifically, we can talk about certain things. Um, because medical industry embraced uh, this technology just because of some unique characteristics of 3D exactly, printing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, one of that is uh, lattice structures, the capability yes. to make complex features, lattice structures, which mimic our bone, right? Yes. And when you create such kind of a lattice structure, one important thing is that uh, 
the cleanliness of your final part. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't know how much uh, powders are still remained in the exactly. In the part. Yes. So we need a standard uh, to say what should be the limit, what should be the minimum allowable percentage of powder that can be allowed, or if not, you know, what's the condition? So we need some kind of a, uh, a requirement stating what should be the percentage of uh, uh, remaining material that is allowed. Similarly, testing of the lattice feature. So far, we were having uh, mechanical testing for flat specimens, flat coupons. Yes. Yeah. But when it comes to lattice, we don't it's, have enough. It's ex- very complex. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So this is some of the things people are now working on or standard committees are now working on. Similarly, um, the use of powders, reuse of powders, because we use powders for um, additive manufacturing, particularly for uh, metal additive manufacturing. We use uh, metallic powders, right? So the problem with, not problem, I would say, one of the economic aspect of additive manufacturing is that you can reuse these powders because powders. titanium um, is it, costly. We know that. Yeah, exactly. So if you can reuse the powder, that makes uh, things economical. But the problem is when you reuse the powder, there is a high potential for it to get um, contaminated. Right. right. So how long so and should, for how exactly? How many times? Yeah. How many times you can do that, and how long you can do that? What kind of uh, precautions that you should follow? How many test methods? That, I mean, how many tests that you should do while the powder is under processing? So all those things need to be addressed. So another important um, standard gap that we need to address is that uh, how many times or or is there any any mechanism to control? the reuse of the powder or if there is any schema or a strategy to control the uh, reuse of the powder. So this is some of the, the key standards I think uh, you know, people are expecting to come out from uh, these standard organizations. And in fact, we are working on those standards as well. Yeah, and, and these are amazing things because lattice structures are really helpful in terms of the complexities that they actually cover. But again, the thing is that obviously we need to know what is the powder, what, will it not be toxic to, the, you know, will yeah. we be able to really clean that to that extent? And those things are so sure. important, and especially with uh, metallic powders if they are entrapped inside. So that's so yeah. important. Uh, so, and would you also like to reveal to us uh, the status of standards which support medical 3D printing? Because these are some of the gaps, which I would say yeah. we've come a long way. So, but we need to acknowledge what we've done up until now. So what are those standards in supporting medical 3D printing? Yeah, so uh, I, I can tell you what's happening in ASTM and ISO. Yes, please. Um, so for additive manufacturing specifically, so we have uh, the standard development process uh, going on in a collaboration between ISO and ASTM. And we have a specific committee called ASTM, a subcommittee under ASTM F42. So ASTM F42 is the committee which uh, uh, deals with standard development for additive manufacturing. Yeah, so I'm a part of ASTM, that committee. That's that's really active. Yeah. yeah, I'm a part of that committee. Yeah. So under ASTM F42, we have again a subcommittee called ASTM F4207, which deals with applications for multiple industry sectors and medical is part of that industry sector. Yeah. So we call it as a subsection F4207-03. So, yeah. And that's a committee which works on um, standards for specifically for additive manufacturing. So at this point, we are working on a couple of standards. And one of the standards is basically to determine, um, as I said, uh, a, a strategy for powder recycling. So what are the different schemas that one should follow when it comes to uh, powder recycling? That's uh, one work item that's currently uh, going on. 
and uh, there are also standards uh, or standards in development which uh, talks about material properties of titanium specifically for medical device applications. So previously we have this material standard that was a generic one, but now there's a standard uh, which we are working towards specific properties for uh, medical device applications. And apart from these kind of uh, specific standards, we have a lot of other standards which has, which has um, published under design, materials, uh, process, post processes and things like that. So those standards can also be applied for uh, 3D printing of medical devices. Yeah. For example, we have uh, a standard called uh, ISO 52904, which talks specifically about the um, you know, control methods that you should follow when you print critical parts for critical applications, which includes medical devices as well. Similarly, we have a standard called 529-5200, um, which talks about terminology. Like when you communicate among yourself, yes. you should use a common language. So this particular standard tells you um, the terminologies that we normally use in additive manufacturing. So we have generic standards which can be applied for uh, 3D printing of medical devices directly. And we also have standards under development which are specific to um, 3D printing of medical devices. And in addition to STM, I know there are other organizations like IEEE, uh, yes. DICOM, they're also developing standards, standards on their domains, right. on their domains, specifically on the medical imaging um, part of it. Yeah. So standard development is quite, uh, I would say it's quite, what do you say, um, fast now. It's yes. not like the earlier days that it take three years or four years. Yeah. We have a mechanism to, to accelerate the standards by performing some research internally. And that will support the development of uh, standards. Uh, and I ASTM think, and ISO. yeah. And I think we need standards because that is how we actually progress and shorten the time to actually create the next product because it doesn't end here. There is a next thing which is yeah. coming in. And if we have the standards in place, obviously we can go to the next step sooner. So, yeah. so definitely that's, that's of value. Uh, but then the, there are many people who feel that, is there really a need to have a regulated 3D printing uh, device? Do we really need to have that regulated? Many people think about it like that because you know, 3D printing yes. is like kind of easy in terms of, you know, getting the product done, you know, prototyping and stuff like that. And then you feel, why do I need to get it? You know, <laughs> why do I have yeah. to uh, get that regulated? So yeah, just a little yeah. talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. So when it comes to, so first of all, we should think why we need regulation. So yeah. the ultimate purpose of regulation is to make sure that the products that are available in the market is safe to use. So that's the main purpose of the regulation. And exactly. uh, when it comes to 3D printing, since it's an emerging technology, it's an advancing technology, people feel that once you have regulations in place, it will spur innovation. I would say there are two sides of the coin. One is when you say it, it, it's spur the innovation, you can also say that when you have some requirements, you will have some more innovative thoughts to circumvent that requirements and make sure that you comply with the requirements. Right, right. Okay, so uh, regulations are necessary just to make sure that uh, what are products that we are uh, bringing out uh, through 3D printing is safe to use. That is necessary for the industry as well. So for example, if you um, should use components using 3D printing and if there are no regulations or if there is no check and balance on what you're doing and on a, on a fine day, if something happens, 
than it so affects the industry. Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, we are dealing with human beings. I mean, if we are talking of medical 3D printing, at the end of the day, it is we who are to be suffering. So it might be any one of us because anybody could be a patient, right? Yeah. So we cannot compromise uh, the safety of people. And for that, we need regulations in in place. And whatever we need to comply with the regulations, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we comply with the regulations so that you know, people will be safe and people will be confident to use uh, the 3D printed products. And uh, as a whole, it will be beneficial for the industry. So once people started using 3D printed components, the industry is going to grow. Yeah, that's that's very uh, very true. So, if somebody wanted to kind of uh, get into the standardization process and stuff like that, how can one do that? Okay, so again, another interesting question. And even though if you didn't ask, I would say yes. <laughs> about this because uh, most of the people feel that getting into uh, this standardization process is a it's a huge task, but it's a, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, being a member of ASTM or, or getting a member of ASTM is really straightforward. You can just come to our website and um, register for an individual membership. So we have two kinds of membership. One is called individual membership and another one is institutional membership. So being an individual member, you are open to all the activities, all the standardization activities that is happening within the ASTM. So it's now up to you what you want to do there how you want to contribute there. It's not just about developing the standards. So once you are there, it, it gives you the opportunity to interact with other uh, experts, learn from other experts, share your knowledge as well. And uh, you are close to what's going to happen in the next two years, because you, you know what's happening in the standard development and you know what's going to come out in the next two years, which means you are pretty close to uh, the actual technology development, and you are interacting with um, so many experts. Okay, so I would encourage uh, everyone, if possible, if you have time and if you have the if you have the wish to volunteer, then uh, this is a good opportunity for uh, you to be a part of uh, the standard development activity. And there are no other hurdles. There is no other uh, what do you say technical or official hurdles in getting involved. So once you get involved you will know uh, where you want to pitch in. Very true. And I also feel, yeah, yeah, that you feel a part of a community which is doing something together. And that that feeling uh, that your uh, your knowledge in terms, because anything that you develop, different people have different ways of imparting their expertise. So it's it's an amazing place to be, definitely. And um, for students, uh, most of the people don't know about that. For students, getting a membership in ASTM, is absolutely free. So basically to encourage them to be a part of these activities and to know what's happening in terms of uh, the standard development in supporting the industry. So uh, as I said before, being a member uh, for AS- in ASTM is, is pretty straightforward and it won't take any time or any or multiple steps to be a member. Amazing. So I think people should actually look into the website, go there. At least if if you're a student, I mean, it's definitely straightforward. And if you're an expert, then actually you're needed there. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So please go ahead, have a look at the website. And I will post the link to the website uh, in the show notes page of this podcast. And anything that you feel I didn't ask you, please uh, talk about it. 
I think we touched upon many of these things, mm-hmm. um, even though not in in detail, but still we covered pretty much everything in a high level. But um, if anyone is having any uh, clarifications uh, or any questions, I'm open to answer that. Uh, I think I have my email. Yes. I can share my email as well as uh, our yeah. organization email. Yeah. So I'll, you can reach out that. to us. Yes. Okay. So you can reach out to me or, or, or in the uh, website and you can get further details there. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you. And uh, that was a, quite a lot of learning in a short span of time. So thank you so much for that. Thank you very much, Dr. G, for uh, giving me this opportunity. And hope we can uh, have something similar uh, sometime later as well. Yes, of course. Yeah. Thank you. See thank you, you very then. Much. See you later. Yeah. See Bye-bye. You. I have put in the work to make sure you thoroughly enjoy the show and find something new to learn. See you next week with an amazing guest. Till then, stay strong and keep learning. And now to our sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Reconstructive Healthcare Solutions Private Limited, a startup on 3D printing consulting and services. If you are looking for a 3D printing service or consulting in India, connect with Reconstructive Healthcare Solutions Private Limited, incubated at Indian Institute of Technology, New Delhi. Connect for your first 30 minutes of consultation on any medical 3D printing project that you plan to start. The link to the 30-minute call is there in the description of the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Surgeons in 3D Printing Podcast. Life is a work in progress. What matters at the end is the journey.